0: Hi there, this is the Esoteric Podcast, and I'm your host, Ben, out of Denver, Colorado. It's a podcast dedicated to the people who ultimately are truth seeking individuals and want to enhance their base knowledge in a myriad of subjects and bring civility back into the discussion through long form content. This means we go into conversations with different people about life in general, which include business, politics, and anything in between. The following guest is a part of the Military Monday series, where I record oral histories of fellow veterans here in Colorado.
1: I'm rubbing shoulders with CEOs and millions. I've never seen my vision be more crystal clear Look in the mirror, see the change in who I used to be I kept going, new success will come eventually But ask about me back then, they said I wouldn't make it Nowadays they doubt less and tend to ask for favors Poetic music, that's realness, don't let them tell you different And if you ever lost in doubt, then follow your intuition These words of wisdom is for those who's trying to find their purpose Don't be living just to die, cause only death is certain I'm working hard so I can toast to my accomplishments Cause see I lost it all and I ain't been the same same sense. I'm more focused, more ambitious, more everything. Grew up with nothing, now I appreciate the finer things. I know it's real when at the shows they ask for autographs and now they know the name, they ain't got ass. Yeah.
0: You know, first off, thanks so much Bernie for doing this. Um, I know it's awesome honestly to see the fact that you're a fresh, eager and uh always willing to learn something new um, as far as technology goes. Uh, It's awesome that you're 90 years old and on Zoom. (laughs) Um, So thanks for that. Um, Without further ado, my first guest is Bernie Rogoff. Bernie Rogoff was the past commander for the Jewish War Veterans Post 344 in Denver, Colorado. And... Bernie and I have known each other for about 4 years, 5 years now. 86. And uh, yeah. yeah, actually a little longer. bit longer. And, and uh we've we've become, become friends. friends. I respect Bernie immensely for what he has done and what he continues to do for the community and uh I definitely want to be like him when I grow up. Um just constantly being involved in stuff and and my passion is is the community, so Thanks for that, Bernie, and uh, welcome.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. It's uh, a privilege to share. Uh, You know, we old guys like to talk about our past. Uh, It gives us uh, yet another venue uh, to talk about who we are and what we are, and we don't get a chance to share that, but you're making that possible. And I'm glad to be, I feel privileged to be able to share
0: so so tell me, where, where did you grow up, Bernie? Do you remember where you grew up? Like back home, like in the East Coast and stuff?
1: Let me start with East Coast. Uh, on the New Jersey shore, we had a little home in a little town called Lakewood, New Jersey, which was right on the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, in those days, there were only 71 million Americans. And uh, if we wanted to go to the ocean from the little town that we lived in, we could just go out on any highway and we would never had a fear of anything happening to us, of anybody taking advantage of us as young kids. Uh, I wake up every morning and my first prayer in the morning beside my Hebrew prayer is uh, thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes in America. And uh, my memories take me back to that little town in Lakewood, New Jersey, uh, where I uh, grew up. I was born in Bayonne, New Jersey, which was a uh, a polyglot town of uh, Irish and Polish and Jewish, and uh, that's where I was born. And uh, that that those were my early beginnings until the time that I signed up to join and. I didn't get recruited. I just signed up to join. My brother was fighting in Germany during the Second World War. I was 15 years old, and uh, it was called the Swiney Sanitarium, and uh, Dr. Swiney was about uh, six foot six and weighed 300 pounds. And uh, he, for $50, he delivered all the babies of the poor Polish and Jewish and... Italian families. uh, And he was quite a guy, but I was 13 pounds when I was born. And uh, my, my mother was asked, what are you on? What are you going to name your baby? And he she said, well, he's got to be Bernie or Bernard. I don't care what the rest of his name is. Well, Dr. Swiney was this big guy. And I was 13 pounds at birth so on my birth certificate and all my medical records and military records my name is bernard swiney rogoff he put his own name in there as my middle name so that's laughable and it uh, keeps coming up every time I, uh, I have to fill out any papers uh here's this jewish kid with a Irish name but uh anyhow we grew up in bayonne and uh and then uh, then came the depression in 1918 in uh, uh, in uh, 19 oh, I was born in 1930. So we had the Great Depression in 1935 36 and uh, my father struggled. He uh, sold uh, ladies underwear and men's socks and anything to make a few bucks. But uh, My brother was fighting in Germany and it got to be in 1948, 49. I was 40. I was actually 47. I was 17 years old and I went down to Floyd Bennett Naval Air Station in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, signed up to join the Army Air Corps. And uh, my mother signed the papers and Army Air Corps. I signed up to be in the medical department of the Army Air Corps. I was 17
0: years old. And so, we, so, so tell me about yeah. that. Were, were your parents very supportive very of bad. that? Were they were surprised?
1: surprised? They, wouldn't, my, they were very surprised that I wanted to do that at that age. Uh, most young guys were interested in uh, football and baseball. And even then, sports were the main thing
0: do you think that was the time do you think you think a lot of people did that or you think you were a little bit unique in that way
1: well if you look at the records the people who served during the korean war which was uh that period of time when i went into the service uh many there were many of us uh, my age i was in high school and uh, one of my good friends was a kid by the name of charlie He signed up with me, and he went over to Korea, and he was one of the first killed in the Korean War. But uh, yeah, many of us did. I'm still very friendly with uh, kids from that era. I still speak to them. I still am uh, friendly with them. Even at 90, we keep in touch with each other.
0: That's great. just a little bit more background with your your family. Were your parents both immigrants?
1: My parents were both born in the United States.
0: Okay. Nice. Okay.
1: Uh, my father was went to Penn State University. He uh, was in what they call the Naval Reserve at Penn State, and he uh, he became one of the first submariners in the Navy.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And. Uh, that followed through even today. i bring you up to date. My son was a Navy SEAL. And of course, I served in the Air Force. So we uh, became a military family even up until today. Uh, My grand, I have two grandchildren who just got out of the army. So uh, it, it, uh, it was woven into the threads of what we thought was important for America.
0: And didn't, did you, when you were growing up, was that part of like your house? Did your, did your dad kind of push some of those ideas and those values into the family as you were growing up? Cause he was a Navy guy or were you in the scouts or did you go to camps and stuff like that I growing was,
1: up? I was a cup scouts and boy scouts and my father was very supportive. We, uh, This little town we lived in had only 3000 people in it in the winter time. It became it grew to uh, 15,000 because it was where Jewish people from New York went in the winter time to get away from New York. And there were no planes and people didn't fly to Florida in those days. But we uh, we even in those days, we had what we called Uh, the aircraft spotters and uh, Lakehurst Naval Air Station was nearby and uh, the Navy guys would come over to Lakewood and we had about 30 of us and we became aircraft spotters. We would go up into the attic of these hotels that were down there and we would have to report any aircraft that we saw. We had to learn every army uh, military, uh, United States aircraft, German aircraft and Italian aircraft by sight. And we had to report what we were witnessing. It like there was a uh, an F4F and it was going northeast and it was flying at about 300 miles an hour and it was heading for the ocean and uh, those are the things we did even when I was 14 years old. We. Uh, and my dad supported that. I was very proud to have his picture with, in his Navy uniform on my bureau.
0: Do you think that um, that really got you intrigued about the military? Like having, one, your your father as an influence, but then like being around stuff like that and seeing how that was interesting to you, especially with the, the air, you know, the planes and things like that?
1: Uh, yeah, that's... that inspired me to uh, to go on and uh when the time came for me to be able to get into the air for army air corps my brother at that time was fighting in germany he had just fought in germany the war was concluding he lost 23 of his best friends uh, in one night at the battle of the bulge in uh, germany and uh he was my uh uh, my hero, he, we kept in touch by military mail. We had what we call female. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he inspired me too to go on and do the things that I did. And finally, as I mentioned, I joined the Army Air Corps and uh, I had uh, full support of my family.
0: How many siblings were you? I'm sorry? How many siblings were you?
1: I just had my brother.
0: Okay. And then when you joined the Army Air Corps, what made you pick the medical field?
1: Well, my best, my childhood sweetheart in Lakewood, New Jersey, growing up in schools, little schools there, was a girl by the name of Barbara Zolt. It was spelled S-C-O-L-D. And I was in their home a lot, and her dad was a doctor. And I used to go on house calls with him even as a teenager. But Barbara Zold's mother, Barbara Zold's father was Norman Zold. And Norman Zold was the son of Henrietta Zold, who was the founder of Hadassah. Okay. And and, uh, she has just recently passed away, but uh, that was inspirational too because Norman's old used to let me carry his bag when he went on house calls, and uh, he was a physician who I respected and I wanted to emulate.
0: Yeah, so tell—I mean, if you if you can remember at all, can you, when you signed up, can you tell me about the environment in the United States at the time? So obviously, World War II was winding down. Um, we're kind of on a on a high for beating beating fascism and saving Europe. And then you're signing up right around the time, right before Korea really kicks off.
1: North Korea kicked off. Korea kicked off uh, in 49. Right. Uh, when I was in uh, that kid growing up and making households with Norman's old, uh, Americans were absolutely uh, patriotic we had to have stamps for butter. We had to have stamps for meat. We had to have a, uh, a, uh, a, a decal on our vehicle. My, my dad was given a, a, a green decal, which meant that he could get a certain number of ga- uh, gallons of gasoline a week. Uh, those who didn't, those who had a red decal we only allowed three gallons a week, and my dad, because he had had to earn a living, was given the uh, blue decal. But uh, Americans were very, very nationalistic for America and not in a way that we experienced with our former president. Uh, They just were patriotic and would do anything like what we did, climbing up to the roofs of these hotels and reporting aircraft and whatever it took, uh, we did. And uh, when I was 15, uh, I uh, was in junior high school, we had moved to Englewood, New Jersey, the war had just ended. And um, one of my friends in high school, one of my baseball friends and I, signed up and we went uh and worked on farms in vermont to help the war effort so we had to harvest the crops and do the things because there were not there was not enough manpower so uh i was doing that while my brother was finishing winding down the war in germany so we were very patriotic america was there was no division no left or right or red or blue or republican or democrat uh, we happen to be democrats our president was franklin delano roosevelt we we're pr- proud of that guy we had his picture all over the place
0: do you do you remember a time recently that kind of felt that way that you felt during that time of part of your life where america was together Do you recall any time here in the last 20, 25 years where America was like lock and step in the same way as a country?
1: Well, America grew from 71 million to 330 million people. It became a a polyglot. Our population came from all over the world. And for the most part, uh, we grew from the machine age into the uh, age of uh, high-tech electronics. So we were bringing young men in from India and uh, wherever they could, we could get them. Companies like Dell and Microsoft brought the, these uh, brilliant young people in. So we started to have a mix of people. Uh, they were, uh, American. They, nobody ever spoke against the country uh, and there was no div- divisiveness going on, but, um, that all developed, I think, in the thirties right after, uh, uh, as I was growing up, uh, we witnessed this influx of people who really didn't have that, that grain, that. Fiber of Americanism about them, and uh, and then of course politics came into play after after Roosevelt died, Then came the atom bomb with Truman and uh, uh, people only wanted to migrate to America. So we did see a winding down of that national spirit, that great patriotic spirit. Of, we'll do anything for Mother. My my mother. Uh, Actually, uh, used a, a riveting gun, helping to make the wings of the Corsair uh, fighter uh, bomber, an aircraft carrier-based plane, and uh, women were doing. Women grew from just taking care of home uh, to being welders and riveters, and and uh, going to the hospitals where guys who had been wounded Uh, so there was not there was no winding down in patriotism. I would say that all started uh, around the time of of George Bush uh, when they When uh, people were inclined to uh, not put country first, it was uh, make a living. Make a business, grow your business, uh, and again, once again, we became either red or blue or liberal or, or conservative, and uh, there was a, the divisiveness started, I would say, probably in the, in the 1960s, 1970s
0: so like basically around the end of the Vietnam War where we just had a, a, a bifurcation well, of
1: that, that was about the end of the Vietnam War
0: the OPEC but, oil embargo yeah, it was, it was, those was a kind lot of things
1: because of the Vietnam War there was Kent State where some of the students were killed and, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh,
0: uh, the riots in Chicago
1: riots in Chicago and elsewhere yeah
0: yeah, definitely a lot of, uh, I think, soul searching in the in the 60s per se with the country and, and do the values that I think that we like to instill in, in our youth. Are they actually for everybody? And I think we had to have a, a, a question about that during those times, especially with the civil rights movement.
1: I got out of the Air Force in 54 and 55. I became commander of the Jewish War Veteran Post in Englewood, New Jersey. I still have the plaque on my wall. I could probably aim it and show it to you. Uh, But I was commander of the Jewish War Veterans when I was the youngest commander in America. And we lived in Englewood, New Jersey at that time. And we did civic things, like we protected the fire alarm boxes so people wouldn't register false alarms and put our firemen in danger. And uh, we became, a, as guess, again, we became very protective of America and American values. That was in 55 and 56. Yeah.
0: So your time in the military, where where were you stationed? during that time in the, in your service. And then, um, I guess in the basic training, because the air force hadn't split off yet, I guess it was pretty similar because you were still in the the army. So same basic training. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about that? And as far as like, did you write letters home? Like, what do you think you said? Like, what did your parents say back or who were you writing to during those times?
1: I mean, home and getting letters from home was a big deal. Uh, When I was in the Air Force, well, in June of 1949, we got orders to bring our uniforms to the quartermaster area to clothing. I was stationed, I had been uh, uh, in the Air Force Reserve, or rather, Air Force Army Air Corps. and we were told to bring our uniforms to quartermaster and we did and we turned in our khaki uniforms and we were given the Air Force blue and we were given a certificate that said we were no longer uh, going to be part of the Army Air Corps. We were now going to be the United States Air Force. And that was like I was stationed in Tampa, Florida at MacDill Air Force Base uh, and uh, I was in the medical department doing urinalysis and all that other stuff, that, the mundane stuff. And then uh, uh, I got orders to go to uh, Brook General Hospital in San Antonio, Texas. And I was enrolled in medical school at Brook General Hospital. <clears throat> and they put me in, and I studied radiology. We, uh, we did more in two years than uh, the colleges graduate kids today. It, it takes four or five and six years, but we went to school from six o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, and it was seven days a week. Uh, so that's what I did. I, I studied radiology, I was cert- certified. and went back to MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa. And I became part of the cadre of McDill Air Force Base Hospital for the remainder of my time in the Air Force. And uh, it was uh, very interesting and I, I carried that training with me. Even today, I am uh, involved my one of my best friends is a young man by the name is a guy by the name of uh, Elliot Sandberg. He's chief of radiology at the Denver VA Medical Center, and he and I became very close friends and are still very close friends. But that was how I evolved in my medical training uh, at, uh, in the Air Force.
0: Got it. And so you did. So you got out in 54, 55, moved back to New Jersey, and then what did you do when you left the service?
1: Well, when I became a civilian again, in the air, I stayed in the Air Force Reserve for four years. Um, And then I was, uh, uh, I was uh, honorably discharged. And then uh, my dad had been in the garment industry in New York. Uh, He manufactured uh, bathing suits and ladies lingerie, and he wasn't well. So I at the age of 19 or 20, uh, maybe 21. I'm not sure the exact time, but I became involved in that company, and I uh, went. I took that company from uh, uh, 19 million dollars in gross annual volume to 61 million dollars as one of the directors of that company. But that's what I did for 37 years until I moved to uh, to Denver.
0: Okay. What, what, what made you move to Denver? Uh,
1: Walmart. Uh, in those days, every little town in America had its own lady shop and men shop and privately owned department store or uh, some uh, privately owned uh, business uh, that a family had started and grew. In Denver, we had Denver Dry Goods, and we had uh, in Pittsburgh Joseph Horn and Kaufman's. but all of those privately owned department stores uh, were serviced by my company, my dad's company, and uh, we carried them financially. We had we gave them lines of credit, and then along came Walmart, and uh, Walmart. Uh, Sam Walton found a better way to attract the attention of the of the of the customer. And uh, the little Papa Mama Papa stores all over America. We had 9000 accounts all over America, little tiny specialty shops to department stores. But uh, Walmart destroyed all that they destroyed. They took that away. We couldn't continue to carry them for more than 30 days or 60 days when they couldn't pay their bills so our uh, walmart offered my company uh, a, a stipend they offered us uh, money to stay on and they wanted to buy our name our, some of the names that we had were uh, kaiser lingerie were interwoven socks uh, uh, they, uh badly in the bathing suits and uh, Walmart came to us and said, look, we want you to stay. We'll pay you. We want to continue those names and make them part of Walmart. But my board of directors said we'd rather go out of business than to give Walmart. Those names and have Walmart do. We we used to say don't tread on us, but uh, yeah. That's what happened, and so I moved here. I moved to Denver,
0: and that was that was before or after the Walmart situation.
1: It, yeah, well, Walmart grew, and we had to go out of business.
0: Oh wow, okay. Do you do you do you think the people that decided not to work with Walmart? Do you think they regretted that decision, or are they just were happy with the way it was?
1: Well, I can't ask them anymore because most of them are gone. Uh, but my I was one of the directors, and I would say, uh, I I do regret the fact that we gave up uh, that wonderful thing that we we built, uh, and now Walmart is the largest BTL corporation on the planet. Yeah, but uh, I don't shop there
0: because of because of the deal.
1: No, I just quality. We yeah. used to count every we used to count every stitch that went into every garment. We made parachute material for the year for the Air Force uh, mm-hmm. out of nylon uh, when silk was no longer available because we were at war with Japan right. and uh, Walmart didn't really care about those things.
0: Makes sense. Um, and how so you kind of transitioned from the military into the family business yes after after the walmart situation was this the time where you kind of had to really venture out on your own and kind of figure out life like in some ways
1: well i was with the company for 37 years so i had already figured out life and what i was going to do i was well healed i was making the early seven figures in income and i had a beautiful home a mountain in New Jersey. And I used to cross the George Washington bridge every day and our evenings were spent on 47th street, going to shows on Broadway or uh, that type of thing. So I had already stayed. I stayed with one company for my entire career, which is unusual today. Most uh, people uh, transition from one company to another company and in, in the field that they knew best. Uh, I just stayed in the apparel business and uh, when I became director of the education of the um, uh, Colorado National Guard Association here in Colorado. Uh, I used to have to go out to the Air Force Base and do orientation with our new recruits and uh, they used to laugh. They said you went from the air force into ladies lingerie you know <laughs> and that became a big laugh that was a laughable thing but
0: uh, so when 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 you were i don't think you've ever been retired to be honest for as much as i've known you um you've always got something going on which i always kind of admire um how did how did you start to get more involved in the community did that did that come from how you grew up? Did that come from the values you kind of learned along the way? Where, where did that... Are you
1: talking about the military stuff that I do now?
0: Just in general. I mean, I know that that's one of the things you do, but you're part of the, the VA board at, at some point you were part of. You know, these things aren't small. You know, most people when they retire, they kind of want to chill out. I don't think well, that's your, I, I your mantra. to Colorado.
1: Mm -hmm. in 1998. And uh, I bought a little home in Aurora. And uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do. At that point, I was I was already uh, I was 58 68 years old or 58 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, my doorbell rang one day and there was a guy standing at the door in a blue uniform. He said, I'm your neighbor. I'm General Tom Peraro, I'm out of Buckley Air Force Base. I'm a United Airlines pilot, and I flew F-16s. Uh, I said, that's really great. I'm, I'm so happy that you rang my doorbell. I said, what can I, why are you here? He said, I'd like you to have lunch with me. Uh, we have a need. We know that you were in the corporate world and our, our Colorado National Guard is like uh, 43rd in the, in the nation, uh, and uh, we need some help. We need to raise money so that we can bring defense contractors to Colorado uh, so that we can see what the new assets are for Army and Air Force. And uh, would you have lunch with us? So I quickly went upstairs and got dressed and they took me to lunch at the uh, at the Bent Noodle and uh, the governor uh, was there and uh, the uh, commanding officer of Buckley Air Force Base, Dave Sprinkle, was there. General Sprinkle, and, and he was there. And I said, well, "What can I do for you? What is it that you want from me?" I haven't been in the Air Force uh, for all these years, and but I'm I'm willing to listen. They said we need somebody to become director of the National Guard Association, and uh, work with the governor and get Colorado out of the doldrums. So I said yes. I will do it, and I became director. And uh, I uh, immediately started to raise money and bring companies like uh, Sikorsky and Lockheed and and uh, many many. I had uh, about thirty major defense contractors came to Colorado for our our uh, our very first uh, conference. Uh, They brought their words with them. They they uh, we had eight or nine of those conferences where we raised uh, I raised over uh, two or three million dollars to get Colorado to where they are now. We are the the number two in the nation. We just got the designation of Space Headquarters for Space Command, but that was the beginning and I I was part of that and uh, and I just kept doing it. I, then I was asked to go on the board of the VA Medical Center, the old hospital up in uh, on Claremont Street. So i said I would do that as veterans advocate to help establish the protocols for the care of our veterans. My medical uh, background helped me in that regard. And then I was asked to become commander of the Jewish War veterans. We had... Uh, we used to get 11 men at a meeting and maybe have a guest speaker. Now we get 30 to 40 men at a meeting, or people at a meeting. And we just recently had a Zoom meeting with a young woman by the name of Arielle Sandberg. She's 25 years old and she's in the Lincoln Project in Boston now. She has the carries the highest uh, security rank in the nation. Uh, And she worked on SpaceX and she asked Orion and the other space uh, rockets, that's what she does. But I became active in all those things. And that all began with this meeting that I had with uh, General Sprinkle and General Peraro. And and I just have kept doing it. I'm winding down a little bit now because I had a, a fall and I, uh, and I'm 90 now, so uh, I just don't have the uh, the fiber in me anymore to, to do as many de- hours a day.
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand. I mean, you're allowed to take a little bit of break nowadays. Um, w- what's your...
1: I'll tell you one story. We were going to uh, make... I had to make a speech, and Ed Perlmutter, our congressman, was going to make a speech make the speech and I was going to introduce and I was on the stage up on Colfax Avenue in Denver. And we were waiting for Ed Perlmutter. He was late and sitting on the stage next to me waiting for Ed Perlmutter was this black guy. And uh, he and I started to talk to each other. And he said, I uh, my name is uh, Barack Obama. You know me, I'm running for office. I want to become president of the United States. And I said, sure. And uh, we talked and uh, he said, if I become president, what is the one thing that your 450,000 veterans in Colorado need most? And I said, we need $850 million so we can build a new hospital because the hospital we're using now is a dungeon. He said, I promise you, if I win and when I'm inaugurated, count the days. And sure enough, about three months after he was elected and inaugurated, we got a phone call from Washington that Congress had appropriated the money, the $850 million to build what is now arguably one of the most uh, uh, important medical facilities for veterans in the nation. So those are part of my memories that I participated in. And uh, i have his picture with me on the wall of my office uh because then i'm very proud of the fact that i met this guy who became the first black president of the united states and uh and he helped build that hospital and yeah i have all those memories that i cling to they sustain me
0: what um so what do you think about the VA today versus the VA that you knew from before and the improvements that you've helped bring about here in Colorado in that sense for the VA and the VA as a whole.
1: VA is, is, is actually, uh, has taken more hits, uh, from unknowing people. Like I was on channel nine news with a woman who said she had a, a 35 letters from people veterans who were just enchanted and who complained about the care they got at the VA. She, had, and she waved the 35 letters. We were on the air. And uh, I said, Madam, you have 35 letters. I said, Are you good at math? And she said, Well, I don't know why. She said, uh, I said, Well, we have 98,000 patients who are happy and you have 33 letters of discontent. Uh, and that speaks for itself. We have one of the finest medical facilities, perhaps in the world, beside Houston, uh, in the world uh, to care for our veteran population. And I, they saved my life. So I'm, I'm absolutely proud of the VA and everything that they do. Our director is an amazing guy and, and all the other people who came before him are truly wonderful people very knowledgeable, well-equipped. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, you've done quite a bit in your time. Do you, do you care about legacy at all or like what people think of you?
1: I never participated in the things that I do with the thought in mind that I want to be remembered for it or that I was going to be given any special recognition. Uh, that was never part of what I did, and it's not part of what I do now, and when I, when I teach young people today, I'm, uh, I formed the, uh, with another guy, I formed the Education Foundation of the Colorado National Guard in 2003, uh, because our, our National Guard gets little recognition uh, from the general population. Who doesn't really know what the National Guard does uh, and uh, I became very much involved with providing tuition assistance for men and women and uh, and their offspring of the Colorado of National Guard families of which there were 6,000 in Colorado but uh, since 2003 I just went over the Million two hundred thousand dollar mark, and have sent over six hundred children of Colorado National Guard families to college. Uh, that's my legacy. Uh, I I one day was sitting at my desk at headquarters uh, when I had just become, like a couple of years into becoming director, and I was thinking about the. E2s and E3s who were having a problem. They didn't have cars. They were required to get to headquarters, go to drills, do the things they needed to do. So I met with the RTD board, uh, our transportation authority for the state of Northern Colorado. And I said, you need to give these military, whether they're active duty or transients, free rides. They should be able to ride free on any conveyance of R T D, whether it's to the airport or to the to a game or to military to a drill or a meeting. They need to ride free. Well, uh, by unanimous consent, they voted and voted to start the ride free program, uh, so that all military, if they carry the military ID. Uh, uh, they ride free. That's my legacy. If you uh, if you log on to Bernie Rogoff RTD free rides, uh, they miscalculate. They call me Brigadier General Bernie Rogoff. I wasn't a Brigadier General, but uh, uh, I'm proud of that. Those are that's one of the things that I'm very proud of. The free rides, my education foundation. Uh, I'm. In the middle of that, every day in my life, um, at my desk, uh, it it keeps me going. And instead of uh, lingering in a doctor's office, I'd rather be doing that.
0: Yeah. With, you know, as you're passing the torch on to other folks, in the future, what would you like to see continue to be built on, like what you've kind of started?
1: my education foundation is uh, ongoing we've taken on new board members uh, i want that to keep going that's important it builds morale it, it acknowledges the sacrifice of our military families um, i want my jewish war veterans to continue to grow because not because of the ethnicity but uh, because it's a reminder of uh, here are jewish men who gave their lives who uh, gave their lives. We lost uh, over 3,000 Jewish warriors in our wars. Uh, I'm anxious to uh, keep that in front of them as a, an historical uh, fact. Uh, my work on the VA hospital, i so proud of that hospital now. Uh, those are the things that uh, I want to perpetuate and will continue to as long as I have breath in me. Um, I am in touch with a lot of our elected officials Uh, now on this COVID thing. I've been in touch uh, trying to get the VA, uh, get veterans the vaccine and not be phased into a program. Just the fact that they are veterans and they have served our nation they should be uh, in the top priority of those who are given the vaccine. Right. So those those are some of the things that I'm, I want to continue to go.
0: And what do you what do you think that uh, the Jewish community or what do we think we need to do as veterans with the Jewish community to ensure that there's some connectivity where I think is just out of sheer numbers and demographics there's not many of us younger folks that are joining the service in the same way. How do you keep that continuity between let's say the Jewish veteran organization, like the post that we have with the general community at large?
1: Well, our post does, uh, we par- we participate with Jewish Colorado, uh, uh, and, uh, not to the extent that we're able to financially, but we do, um, I personally uh, when and then uh, when the uh, emissary from Israel was here, a young woman, I can't remember her name. uh, Yeah, right. uh, Being with her, letting her know, sending the message back to Israel that we're here and that we're in support of Israel and we need to continue to be. uh, uh, Jewish Colorado is in my personal life it's on my i pay all my bills automatically by electronics through bank of the west and uh, one of the one of the uh organizations that i give to f- freely is jewish colorado so, and the local in the local area where there are jewish families who are in problem having problem paying their bills uh i, I earmarked Or in Colorado, so if that's the way. One thing we can do, just by action, by the by your deeds, and not by our words, uh, we can show the rest of the world that we uh, not not to the degree that we have uh, been. We we need to do it even more. But it's like they say, it's within the length of your cable toe. How long is the rope? around your neck that prevents you from doing more than you want to do. So I do that.
0: And so with that any any parting words for the younger generation in regards to what you want them to push for in the the future here? People in their 20s and 30s.
1: Well, I used to say to my salesman, if you could tell me what the most valuable item in your wardrobe is, I will give you a $500 bonus in your next commission check. You have to tell me what the most important item in your wardrobe is and then not share it with anybody. And uh, nobody was able to come up with just exactly what I thought of as being the most important item. Some talked about the shine on their shoes, some talked about the manicured fingernails that they got when they went to uh, Warnico and had the salon work on them, or the suits that we gave them money to buy at Saks Fifth Avenue. None of them got it. And then finally, at one of our meetings, I disclosed to them that uh, nobody really got it. But that the most important item in your wardrobe is your mirror, your mirror. Why? It's the deed. It's what people see on first impression that makes them want to be part of your world is a compelling fact. If you look this way in and uh, have that carriage, that posture, uh, then other people want to emulate you. Well, that's what I do here in Colorado. I, I do it by my deeds. I, yesterday morning, two hours on the on a zoom with the United Veterans Committee of Colorado. I think I'm the only Jew on the board. But the Jewish war veterans of the United States is one of the premier members. And it's by the deed. What I would have to say and what I have said to all the rest of the young people who I've uh, inspired i hope i've inspired them is uh, it's it's got to be by the deed then that the fact that what you give what you give is uh will be returned to you in a in a joy a, a a type of joy that you cannot possibly get from material wealth and that's my message it's i perpetuate by giving that message and keep sending it out. The uh, thing that hurts me the most is when I hear get a, a young kid call me with a Jewish name, and I've never heard of him before or his family, and he says, Mr. Rogoff, I need to talk to you about something, and I can't talk to my dad about it. Those are the things that, that are hurtful. Those are the things that make me feel that we really haven't done our job as Jewish parents. Why wouldn't a young Jewish kid not be able to speak to his dad about something about anything? So I go out of my way and I go back to that family and I make sure that I uh, I close the gap.
0: Yeah, definitely I've always led by example in my book and I always appreciate that about you. And uh also there's a there's a little bit of that stubbornness too i think you i think you need a little bit of both empathy and stubbornness to get things done in the world and i think you definitely have both so
1: you know this friend of mine who (laughs) happens to be the director of imaging at the va (coughs) elliot sandberg it's his daughter who uh, we did the zoom meeting with with the uh, jwb Mm -hmm. uh, well uh he and I talk. And when I was in high school, uh, my science, my physics professor, uh, we were just we were studying work. And how do you measure work? In what increments do you use to measure work and report what work is accomplished? And I had a a 200 pound boulder wheeled into the classroom. And I said, now we're going to learn about work. I said, well, any of you want to start and show me what it means to accomplish work that is measurable? Well, nobody could move that rock until one kid came up and he said that I think what you're asking us to do is impossible to measure what work is accomplished by moving the rock. I said, that's exactly it. You haven't done work until you have moved the rock. Well, now, Elliot, this friend of mine at the VA,
0: now whenever
1: we talk about things that need to get done, they say, as Bernie Rogoff would say, you haven't done it until you move the rock. And that's what I say to a lot of young kids you've got to do the deed and uh, be proud. Be pr- I, and I am. Proud of our veterans. I'm proud of you know, of all faiths, but I'm very proud of the men and women who uh, have joined the Jewish War Veterans and uh, participate. And, uh, I'm proud of a guy like uh, Ben Bretman, who, even though he's halfway around the world, uh, when we need something, to, a message to get out to the troops, uh, the bulletin goes and. I'm so thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. That's inspirational.
0: Just just doing my part. And it's easy when people like you are the example on like how to, how to be, or at least to just do your part. And you're a smaller cog in a in a bigger wheel kind of situation. You know, I mean, it doesn't. I just I enjoy my time with you guys because it it, it brings me perspective and and like what, what I think especially during this year you know like what what life means to you as an individual and so I always thank you guys for that
1: we uh, we're all pretty special folks veterans uh, I got a, a phone call from a, a young lady when uh, Obama was in his final year I got a phone call from a woman and she said, uh, I'm Jill Biden's secretary. And uh, he said, uh, wow, you know, what have I done or what can I do? And she said, it's uh, Dr. Biden and uh, Michelle Obama would like to establish a program called the Military Family Initiative. And we've heard about you and we'd like to know, I would like to know we would like to know if you would do a business plan to establish a military family initiative so that the general population will know that the national guard is not just putting out fires or floods or building rebuilding roads Uh, their families who have put their their brethren on the line and they need to be acknowledged and so we want to establish this military family initiative that we can use to uh, let the rest of the world know about our National Guard. So I said, well, I'll do the best I can. And I did. And it was adopted. Uh, and then uh, just I'm not going anywhere. It's just stay right where you are. I'm going to get something.
0: Okay.
1: And then one day I got a letter in the mail and it was in a green envelope, pale green stationery. And uh, it had a stamp on it and it was from the White House. And I had only had, I had few letters from the White House, but White House letters do not have a stamp on them. Uh, They're what they call, they get franked. In other words, the sender has a is of a caliber and priority that they don't use a stamp. They just sign where a stamp would be. And uh, Gene and I opened the letter. I don't know if you're going to be able to see this.
0: I can see the letter. Oh, I see. I see uh, the first lady signed it. Yeah. I can see. There it is. Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, okay. So,
1: this letter, we opened quickly, and it's from Michelle Obama. Yeah. It's a personal letter, and it says, Dear Bernie, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to share your ideas with me. I truly believe that all Americans have a role to play in supporting are honoring our military families and it is always and always helpful to receive suggestions about how best to serve our troops veterans and their families and signed Michelle Obama One letter like that, or one letter from a kid who says, I have epilepsy and you helped me graduate from college, or one letter who says, Mr. Rogoff, when you gave me money to stay at Colorado State when my dad was deployed to Afghanistan, you made it possible for me to continue in college, and the next time you speak to me, you can call me doctor. That's why
0: I do what I do yeah. you've touched a lot of people in in many ways I'm sure, and um I'm sure that it's a combination of things you know how you were how you were raised to the values that you kind of created for yourself along the way, and you know I think your generation is 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 unique in a sense that you guys probably went through some of the, the most hardship as a generation, growing through the Depression, World War II, Korea. Some people, if they were still doing a career, Vietnam started in the early 60s, you know. Um, being in that time frame, uh, that generation sacrificed a lot, and I think, for me anyway, the, the biggest takeaway from, from you guys is how you treat people, I think. And when you run a business, you know, obviously I'm very different as far as the business from where you were, what you were doing to what I'm doing right now. But I, I try to treat people as if they were, you know, the same as, you know, in my squad or my team or anything else, you know, because at the end of the day, you have to rely on each other. And if you can't rely on each other in that, that way, then, what's the point of of moving forward with people if they don't feel safe and secure and knowing that you got their back. And so that's kind of definitely what I take from you guys.
1: Well, we have learned as Americans what it means to have a leader who has no empathy, who cannot experience what it feels like to walk in tight shoes put the uniform on and put their lives on the line. And when asked who among you will serve, they said, send me. We've just come through a terrible four years and we're hoping that that will go away now with this, our new president. And uh, I will continue to preach, not because it's a political thing, uh, empathy and feelings and, uh, and deeds, and uh this meeting that i'm experiencing now with ben bretman from halfway around the world uh letting me talk about it uh it's i can't express in words what it means to me and i want to say thank you
0: no thank you i mean this was I've been wanting to do this for a while and and it took a, a second based on when I was in school and work and running a business on the you know all together and it's just now like the the volume's kind of turned down a bit and then I I really want to capture the essence of of all the people at the post but you know this this generation because I feel we have a lot of value that we we could be losing here potentially You know, that I want to be able to share with others and and try to show other ways on how to do things in life, in business, whatever. But those things have to come with um, thinking of something bigger than yourself. And that doesn't come easy these days for a lot of people.
1: Hey, Ben, what is the Fulda Foundation?
0: So it's it's a nonprofit that me and a friend started almost 10 years ago now, and we've brought people to Israel. So it's kind of two forked like mission wise. So ideally we deal with like veterans and, and issues with transition. Essentially we haven't really gotten too much of that off the ground just because we've been busy with life um, but then the other part of it is um, having a, like a Jewish component to it. And so we raise money within the community for programs that we like in Israel. And we sponsor a couple of teenagers every year in a pre-military program. It's designed to get kids from disenfranchised backgrounds, broken homes, you know, assault, things like that, you know, um, to get them away from their normal environment to get them out there and to, um, train up, to try out for special units in the Israeli defense forces. And they have a really high success rate of like 80% of the people that try out for those units usually get into the unit that they want. And, uh, we sponsor usually about two to three students every, every year, and then we've been working with another program. It's just uh, haven't, hasn't worked out in the same way, but it's called Crembo Wings, where, um, well, the other one first, uh, the pre-military program is called Derek Yeretz. Big shout out to uh, Nitsana and all the, the campuses out there. They've had a pretty rough year um, with, with COVID and everything else, but they're doing okay as far as like getting the kids in the program and, and kind of getting them out into the community to help out and volunteer and that kind of stuff. Um, but Crembo Wings is another one that really, really struck me as a, as a really awesome program where they take kids with disabilities and once a week they have other kids around their same age that are high school age generally and they just have activities for each other where they go and play and hang out together so the kids with disabilities have friends and their families can get a break from having to take care of them all the time and they just go to like usually like the local high school or another designated area and they just have fun together and i think it's a really um opportunistic time for inclusion, especially in the city that we work in, in Lod, Israel, which is a mixed town, it's about 50-50 Jewish-Arab, and there's quite a lot of religious Jews there, and a lot of the people that are coming there, um, they all come together during that time because I think the common bond, obviously, is having a kid with disabilities, that they love, but you know, obviously they have to take extra care of in that sense. And, and you see a lot of cooperation with these families that get together in that capacity and it it really works. And how do you
1: spell that foundation?
0: Which one? The,
1: the one that takes care of deprived kids that are kids that are struggling or.
0: Yeah. So the, 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 the one with the pre-military is Derek Eretz. And I can send you an email with their their videos can you and stuff. Send me
1: the names.
0: Yep, will do. And then there's Crembo Wings, and they're just amazing programs where I think they they teach kids the value of inclusion and to accept people for who they are, whether it's a disability, whether it's a different you know ethnic background or whatever you know. Um, and I think you just get more out of life when you have an open mind in that sense and uh that teaches those kind of values to kids regardless of what side of the you know the tracks you grew up on and i think that's important
1: very important empathy is is a word that we uh, don't teach in our schools uh it's one of the words that we don't exemplify Uh, and uh we talk about that a lot
0: yeah yeah, and it was it was one of those things where I think that kind of like you, like once I, once I left the service, you know, like I, I found work pretty easily. It was just a matter of kind of finding my niche on like how to give back to my community in a certain way. And I kind of found that through philanthropy and volunteering and stuff. And so when I talk to people that are transitioning, I always tell them I'm like, listen, education is number one. Hopefully they have it done already because most of my friends are retiring from the service, you know, 20 years plus. Uh, But, you know, after that is just finding a niche, either whether it's faith-based or, you know, something they care about, whether whether it's other veterans, whatever. But just get involved in community because it's going to be tough to kind of be out there on your own initially and kind of reintegrating back into society. And I think... uh, we, we try to do that as as a as a as a society, but I just don't think we have the the capacity as a whole. I think veterans just have to take care of veterans in that sense and kind of push the initiative.
1: Folda, Folda in, embraces as all those different aspects. Uh, it's a conglomerate uh, organization as a nonprofit.
0: Yeah, I mean we don't particularly care about anything like that like we brought we had a couple service projects in in Israel and we brought like almost over 20 something volunteers and I would say more than half were actually not Jewish they just wanted to come see Israel for what it is and kind of enjoy that time there and and see how this country is constantly changing and you know obviously Things are like anywhere else in life, up and down. But uh, you know, the people are resilient, and uh, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. You definitely should get there and and kind of figure things out on your own. You know, I just provide the you know the trip or that kind of thing in that sense. Um, it's really been interesting for me as being part of the the JCRC, the Jewish Community Relations Council, and uh, representing the the Jewish war veterans. Um, in that capacity. One, because I just think, one, I'm younger than most folks. But secondly, um, I think the military is bipartisan, you know, in a sense of support, right? And so getting in touch with our local legislators to be able to help bring them to Israel, to kind of hang out and, and see the country Um, but then also kind of create a bond with these folks. You know, I still keep in touch with quite a number of folks that I went on a trip with almost four years ago now. Um, and I intend on, um, you know, going on the next trip, hopefully next year to take the next batch of new legislators that, you know, we would like to, to participate in the, in the trip with, um, to go because it's an inspiring trip and I think it helps, them at least listen to the other side of the aisle may not agree with anything that's being said, but at least they have a, a relationship already established that isn't based on work. And I think that's important.
1: Well, um, nonverbal communication is more powerful, uh, sometimes than the written word or the, or the spoken word. And, uh, I look in your face now and uh, the message I'm getting is really inspiring. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. Um, There's probably more than I could tell you, but uh, I think I've shared pretty much what it is you're trying to impart to the rest of the world, whoever's gonna see this or hear this. You know, I wanna say one more thing. I, I have a hero a military hero beside the military heroes that uh, uh, gave money to preserve what became a democracy during the revolution but uh, my hero is john mccain Uh, he's not a democrat but he didn't have to be a democrat Uh, and uh he i borrowed a speech that i made on one of the sabbaths that Temple Sinai, and I used his speech, what he wrote, and uh, it's it really pretty special what he said uh, about Americans, and it could apply to any any ethnicity or any religious group. Uh, he was a real hero, uh, in, in inspiring guy. So. Uh, if, I, if you needed to say who who made you feel that you have honored the traditions, the wonderful things about America, I would say John McCain is one of those guys.
0: Uh, no, I, I completely agree. I think he uh, exemplified a... Uh, I think an openness in a, in in our society where the
1: he got out of a deathbed to, to vote for what he believed in. Hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah. This country, this big, boisterous, brawling, intolerant, wrestling, restless, striving, daring, good, and magnificent country needs us to help and thrive. Get this a little bigger. Responsibility is more important than any of our personal interests, political interests, or political affiliations. We are the servants of a great nation. A nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that men are indeed created equal. More people have lived free and prosperous lives here than in any other nation on the planet. We have acquired unprecedented wealth and power because of our governing principles and because our government Uh, defended the principles, those principles. America has made a greater contribution than any other nation in the international order that has liberated more people from tyranny and poverty than ever before in history. We have been the greatest example the greatest supporter and the greatest defender of that order. We aren't afraid. We don't covet other people's wealth. We don't don't hide behind walls. We we build. We breach them. We are a blessing to humanity. And so, on this Shabbat, let us all remember that it has been the veteran who bore the battle. Shabbat shalom. God bless you all. That was my speech on Veterans Day.
0: This year or another year?
1: This
0: year this year yeah was it when they when
1: the-, the rabbi the rabbi let me do it by zoom and uh so that's one, one more inspirational thing for me i think of that man getting out of a deathbed knowing that his he's in, in the last 24 hours of his life he went to Florida, to Washington because he knew that uh, millions of Americans would lose their right to good health.
0: And, uh, yeah, I remember that, where he gave the, the thumbs down, walked yeah. into the hall. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, like being being a patriot, Obviously, I think it's different for us than the average person. But secondly, I think being a patriot also means questioning things when your government is going in the wrong direction. We need
1: to. We need to. I'm vocal. People call me that when I moved here, they said you're nothing but a big mouth Jewish bastard <laughs> from the East. The East.
0: Do, you, do, you, do you think people still say that?
1: Then somebody said that to me at a meeting when I stood up for something that was uh, it was at a united veterans committee meeting and uh, as it turns out, I recently was on the zoom yesterday with and this guy was on that zoom and I looked over his shoulder and behind his desk there was a sign that said Trump and uh, I had said to the guy. Back then, don't you ever, ever talk to me like that again. It's truth to power, and truth to art is what we need to uh, hold most here. So anyhow, um, I can send you a copy of that uh, McCain speech if you'd like to have it.
0: Yeah, send it to me. I'd like to, to read it again. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. I know you're, even though 90 years old, you are a busy man, surprisingly. I don't think people understand how much you still are doing and how much you love being a part of your community, whatever community that is, whether it's the veteran community or the Jewish community or just being an American. I think that is a, uh, that's the one thing that we have in common is that we are, multi-layered and multi-faceted people and we wear different hats quite often and uh i just want to thank you for always inspiring me to do a little bit more
1: even though sometimes what what i have to do after we hang up Uh is this is the check i pay all my bills electronically through bank of the west okay they they send the checks out in the next few minutes after you and I conclude. Yeah. This is a check that I sent to the March of Dimes. And it came back for better address. So the next uh, 20 or 30 minutes after we hang up, I'm gonna have to find out what a good address is for the March of Dimes. And it's just $15 that one of the donations I made for the year end. Yeah. Uh, that's on my list but that's what we have to do. We, we can't measure the importance of things when it comes to helping others. It has to be from the heart to the heart and, uh, without reservation.
0: No, I, I, to- I completely agree. And, uh, hopefully we can uh, meet again and we can talk about some more stuff. Um, you know, in person, hopefully soon enough, right?
1: I hope we can do face to face soon. Too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I'm I'm missing you guys, and you know, I'll be gone till probably around April. So, um, but Godspeed. I. Uh,
1: What's happening where you are? Will you get a vaccination?
0: Uh I don't know until I probably get one when I get back, if anything. So but um yeah stay healthy and stay safe and uh we'll definitely see each other again and thanks again for for doing this you're the the first one in the fire and there'll be plenty more
1: i enjoyed i really enjoyed i looked forward to it and uh gene was wondering why i was squirming in my chair at 10 minutes to 10 and then i wasn't i said i don't know if he was going to call me or i was going to call him but i'm not going to wait <laughs>
0: so you know. no i was we were good to go but well, thanks again and uh, yeah we'll keep in touch and we'll see more folks uh, doing more interviews as well so
1: I have i have one more thing i want to share with you okay. okay jean is a licensed clinical social worker sure. she she is 81 years old and she is training at the moment for young people, one from Columbia University, one from I don't know where all of them are from. But I was in the hospital a year ago, the VA hospital, and uh, Jean was invited to attend a ceremony where she would be made a pioneer in the uh national order of licensed clinical social workers being made a pioneer is the highest award and recognition that being can be given nationally to a social worker there are only there are 400 have been awarded over the years and she was going to be one and the person came into my room at the va and said uh, you're not gonna be able to go burn because it's in Washington. And I had a, I, one of my doctors was a Jewish guy, and uh, he said, he's going. And I said, well, I will need to be escorted and carried and I wanna go, how, how is it possible that I'll be able to go? Well, the VA dressed me, transported me, Got me to the airport. United Airlines got me to Washington, to the Cosmos Club, which is a club that is frequented only by heads of state. I had a special room that had uh, grab bars in the shower and grab bars by the side of the bed, so I could be there. And then they took me into the. The next day, uh, I had dressed in uh formal attire and uh i watched as my gene was made a pioneer in the national association of social workers so the two of us do the same thing yeah she's busy right now she'll have two zoom meetings with students helping them become social workers to work for other people and help other people so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree <laughs> well
0: you have to you know to put up with you bernie she probably has to to, to like doing the same kind of stuff too right
1: well when, when we lost our sound she came down got on her hands and knees under my desk yeah and reattached found the cable that was uh, the uh, the b port yeah to get my
0: sound back <laughs> she's a keeper she's a keeper i'm gonna keep her thanks Ben. <laughs> thank you have a good day and uh, all the best and we'll be in touch safe. you too take care the show is produced and engineered by myself ben out of denver colorado be sure to subscribe to our social media or wherever you consume content itunes spotify youtube etc Big shout out to Mike Xavier. Thank you so much for letting us use your music as part of our show. Be sure to check him out as well on social media and stay tuned for the next show.